the theme for the afternoon talk is in the form of a question, what is worth knowing? Just before coming here to Spirit Rock, I was uh, giving a retreat in uh, Israel, in the Negev uh, desert. We were about uh, eight or nine miles from the Gaza, the Gaza Strip. So with the retreatants, about the same number there as uh, here on uh, this retreat. Times we could hear the explosions uh, taking place as the Israeli army in engaged in uh, selective warfare, we might call it, in uh, different parts of the Gaza. And right after the retreat uh, was over a few uh, days later, I had the opportunity on my visits to Israel to go to Nablus, Shrem for Israelis, which is the main town on the West Bank. And it isn't easy to get into uh, uh, Nablus. There are various uh, checkpoints there. And part of the reason and purpose for going there is to meet with our Palestinian brothers and uh, sisters and I uh, spend a day giving a, a workshop uh, for them. And the people that come to the kind of uh, workshops are uh, men and women, mostly in their 20s and 30s, who are social workers, uh, psychologists, body workers, and who are dealing with, as they call it, the families of the martyrs. That means anybody who has been killed, wounded, arrested, etc. And also, some people in this case, uh, several women also uh, came uh, to uh, speak about uh, their experience and ways and finding out ways to deal with their particular uh, uh, stress and terror that was going on. And in one particular situation. A young woman was 22 uh, years of uh, age and her husband, who was 27 years of age, they had been married for four months, had, he was working for the Palestinian authorities and was uh, visiting some of the Palestinians in uh, Israeli uh, prisons to see what support Palestinian Authority could uh, uh, give to them. And then, rather sadly, the uh, uh, individuals in Israeli army placed explosives in his car and through remote control blew up the, the car and uh, killed outside the home of this uh, young woman as he went off. And the claim was made that he was a member of uh, Hamas, the terrorist organization. And in listening to this and other accounts in, uh, uh, in Nablus last, uh, last month, it touches one and sometimes uh, very strongly, very deeply of just how much uh, suffering is going on. And also these first-hand uh, accounts which one receives, and I, of course, listen to 
similar things which are taking place in the Israeli uh, community. And I mention, mention all of this because it has such a strong bearing, I feel, on uh, these teachings and on, on the very potent statement of the Buddha when he said, uh, I declare, I state that there is suffering in this world and I state that there is the resolution of it. And I think sometimes with us as uh, human beings, we kind of live too much and too closely in our uh, comfort zones and all the ways that that can uh, occur and have very little real knowledge and real, ex- real experience uh, uh, of, of the wider world. And I think that actually works against us. It's, a, it's, a, it's severely problematic in knowing, and this is a very key word in the Buddha's teachings, knowing. It's consistently, I'll quote uh, from here in a moment or two, of what knowing is all about. And, and it's this knowing which really has to run well and deep inside to kind of awaken something inside about what matters, what really, really matters. And I don't think we realize living uh, uh, in the West with our relative safety, our relative security and our relative uh, uh, comfort, what other places and parts of the world are like. And also the images and stereotypes that we carry. And one of the things working in the Middle East, and uh, I'm thinking here particularly with the Palestinian community, is the extraordinary independence and freedom that comes across from very committed Palestinian women who are very devout Muslims. And we have a kind of image that's often put out in the media and which we identify it with of a whole different kind of concept of, of uh, uh, Islamic women. But when one actually goes and meets and talks with and sees the extraordinary courage that these women are engaged in, in going to the homes, and, and the theme for the day, which I had with them, because this is what they were uh, asking Christopher, they said, Christopher, we have one hour with a Palestinian family who is a, are a family of martyrs, of a martyr. That might mean husband, son, brother, wife, sister, whatever, has been killed, tortured, wounded, disappeared, the home has been demolished, the olive grove has been cut down, whatever it might be. We have one hour with these people because there are so many, more than 3,000 homes demolished in the Nablus itself. What do we say? What do we say? What do we say to the mother whose son has just been shot dead an hour or two earlier? What do we say? What do we say to the woman who was sitting, sitting there whose uh, husband had just been uh, uh, shot by a settler? What do we say? And it's the, this intensity sometimes of these kinds of suffering which, uh, 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 which take place really means for you and I to, that we really have to dig deep. And this is where some kind of exploration and some kind of knowing is important. And that you and I, while we sit here in our days together, 
and look at our, our issues, some formidable, some lightweight, we, uh, we know that. But nevertheless, it's still the same kind of concern. What is the difficulty that is going on? What is the problem that is, is going on? What are the causes and conditions? And what is really going to make some clear and tangible dis, uh, difference for us? And if, if you and I can get some perception and some uh, insight and some uh, understanding of much lesser forms of suffering than what's been experienced in the Middle East, but maybe the similarity is not so much perhaps in the degree, though sometimes it's similar, but in that there's a direct connection between difficulties and problems that are arising and the causes and conditions. Perhaps there's a lot more in common than what we realize. And that's the importance and the significance of the, of the inner work. Because if it's true and genuine inner work that's really taking place, this whole construct, which is a fiction of self and other, will have to fall away. There isn't any other. There is no them out there. It's us as people trying to work with and deal with issues as well and as best and as effectively as we can. And therefore we see the plight of others is our plight. Our plight is the plight of others. It's just the degrees of it may, may vary. We had, I referred to it, I gave a one-day uh, workshop uh, down the hill uh, two or three days ago. And had one of these, um, what should we call it, a small dilemma that took place. To get into, to get into uh, um, Nablus, we have to, have to go through the checkpoints. So the driver, who was a Samaritan, I call it a good Samaritan, in getting through the uh, checkpoints, we decided to go off the main road and the way to get in was to go through the tracks and try to bypass the soldiers because they're not too interested in people going to visit. So he was going, going through the tracks and there's old walls standing there, you know, a meter or so high, been standing there for hundreds of years and either side is the olive grove. And as we were going through, right just into Nablus, up come three or four Israeli soldiers, rifles up to the eyebrows, and one comes up to the car window uh, up to me. It's the usual thing that goes on. And the others are walking around the car. And he said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, I looked and laughed. I said, I'm a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, are you crazy? Hasn't anybody told you you're in a war zone? <laughs> I said, I'm aware, uh, aware of that, uh, etc." And um, then he looks at the passport, and, da, 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 and da, 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 I won't go into all the details of all, all, all of that. And he uh, agrees kindly to, to let us through. And it was an extremely hot day. You know, it's midsummer in, uh, in uh, uh, Israel and Palestine, and the temperature's well into the 90s. And he said, do you think you could get us some orange juice? And I uh, looked at the driver, you know, he's Samaritan, Palestinian, looked at me and, uh, what does one do? 
what does one do in a situation uh, like that? So, uh, obviously, no soldier is going to dare go into the town <laughs> and ask for orange juice. So, we went in, we stopped the car outside a little uh, shop, and my first thought, I don't know how you view these things, my first thought was, damn it, this is an occupying arm army who has absolutely no right to be in uh, Palestinian uh, territories, and they're asking me to buy them orange juice. <laughs> first thought. And the, and the second thought that uh, arose was, oh, come on, Christopher, a couple of young guys, aged 24 of them, 20 to 25 years of uh, age, um, scared to death, you could just tell talking to them there, and he said, there are people around here trying to kill us, and he's absolutely, absolutely, absolutely right. So the first thought, I said, I let it go, okay, in the shop, get the orange juice, and uh, come out of the shop, I said to the Samaritan, you ain't giving the orange juice, because if Palestinian gives orange juice, so uh, I said, give me the orange juice. So we drove back through the track, back through the olive grove, back to the wall. Then they'd stand outside, come out, look up with the rifles, see the orange juice. I saw their young eyes light up. <laughs> I think I can truly say I made their day. <laughs> okay, here's the orange juice. We look around to make sure nobody can see. Okay, here's the orange juice. Woo, we're off. <laughs> so sometimes in situations of, of, of life, there's issues, suffering which is arising. Terrible suffering. Spend a day listening to these stories, it's a terrible thing. And then, how can we respond? What small statements can we do? And as I say, and as the Buddha said as well, that he said, to quote precisely, the whole world is contained in this fathom-long body. In other words, the laboratory for all understanding is found here in our own existence. What we find here in our own existence, we can see, we can discover, we can know what's elsewhere as well. And that we work on ourselves because in a certain kind of way, the working on ourselves tells us about each other. It reveals how much we have in common with each other. And therefore, work of self is self, 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 self. Everywhere it's self, self, self. The differences between us are tiny, tiny, tiny. Sometimes, when we take a good, hard, honest uh, uh, look, at our, uh, look at our life. There are kind of feelings and thoughts and perceptions which arise uh, with us and in the course of any single day. Some of them may be very strong and some of them may be very light. So what I mean by that is some of the things which are arising in the day have a certain kind of... Um, uh, a potency uh, to them. We have to look and bring our awareness to the strong 
issues that seem to be arising. And the first, and I've touched upon this already with you uh, last uh, day or two, is really to ask ourselves, is this, which seems to be very strong in the moment that's arising for me, is it really worth following through? Is it genuinely worth my giving attention to? We have to ask ourselves. And if it isn't, and we are clear that it, is, that it isn't, it's going to require some resolution from us to remind ourselves it isn't. Because the habit will say, oh yes it is. But the wisdom and the awareness may be saying, oh no it isn't. And one can be in the dilemma of the two voices that are going on inside of oneself and sometimes we know it isn't. The wisdom inside of us, which, the, the authentic knowing saying, this is not important, it's not worth the time and the trouble and the attention, it's not worth the indulgence in. And if, and if the sense is, this is the voice of wisdom, from within, we must listen to it, we must affirm it, we must be as clear as possible as we can. Sometimes, it's the other way round. It's the other way round. And therefore, there might be a slight intimation, a slight whisper, a slight impression. Something in one's life is missing. So, or something in one's life is overlooked. Or something in one's life is not getting the attention that it needs. And we have to ask, our, ask our, ourselves, if I look at my life in its generality and in its totality, with all the benefits and the pluses that might be in it, with all the good fortune that might be acknowledged and recognisable, if that's, all of that is there, is there anything which is not there? Is there anything which is beautiful or significant or discoverable or explorable which is neglected even if one's life is relatively good, relatively comfortable, relatively harmonious with friends and uh, family, uh, etc. Is there anything there which is not awake, which is not vitalized? And sometimes in the rhythm and the flow of our, of our day here, there may be a slight sense of that. Then, we're in the uh, situation at this point of asking, if I'm sincerely interested in discovery, in a real inquiry into life, what's going to have to change? What am I going to cut out, cut through, let go of, shift? Where is the space going to come from which, which is essentially saying to ourselves less of this in order for more of that, whatever it might be, love, compassion, awareness, uh, taking of uh, risks, adventure, initiatives, new dimensions or whatever. 
if we're going to be serious about discovering and opening up and exploring that, we can't have our cake and eat it. And it will mean what's going to have to go. What's going to be made do with less of. And if one starts to raise that question inside, because one wants to, and one is interested, of course, all hell will break loose. <laughs> Bound to. One's gone along in a fairly uh, comfortable kind of zone for X amount of time. One's been courageous enough and bold enough to listen to uh, that other voice which hardly gets heard inside of our self, and we might just want to actualize it. Listen. What would be a wise risk to take in our life? What would be a bold step for spiritual awareness? What would be a real act of letting go in order for the potential to discover something? That'd be great questions to ask. And we can't lose because we're going to die. So no problem. No problem. One can accumulate so much in life, etc. It's totally irrelevant. It's just extra baggage we don't need. We can't lose. There's no loss. Death, always just around the corner, maybe even closer. So there's no loss in these questions. And if we forget now, death, oh yeah, of course. Can't take it. Anything with us. Wonderful. One should be extraordinarily grateful for death. Not many people are, I have to say, but I uh, <laughs> Some, and one person was referring to that uh, today and others in the same. If consciousness is going to shift, sometimes that shift, that movement that's taking place, in fact, is already underway. That may reflect and uh, uh, show itself in when we put hand on heart and we say to ourselves, this which I have done, achieved, accomplished, arrived at or whatever, it's finished its shelf life, it's finished with, and I don't know what will arise next. I do know this is over. It could be work, it could be study, it could be lots of things you and I, I have done. And because of the echoes of the past that arrive in the present, there is often a sense and feeling, I must get on and start something new as quickly as possible. And we rather hate the experience of being in some kind of transition. Even though, damn it, every moment of life is a transition. <laughs> and yet we pick out something and say, well, I'm in transition at the moment. Of course you're in transition. <laughs> uh, 
every moment a transition from one to the to the to the next. So sometimes we say, well, I don't know what's coming. I don't know where my life is going or in what way or where it should lead. All I can say at the moment that what was is over. And so there is a period of time between the finishing or the completion of what was, the old period, so to speak, and before something new comes in. The echoes from the past keep telling us, as well as society, etc., oh, we should be doing something. No. Refuse to do anything. Go on strike, do, but don't do something. Because what's of the mind, which is the past, entering into the present, is no good for us. We've done it. And we'll only in some way, slightly different, but in some way, repeat history. Because the mind is only the repeater of history. It doesn't know anything else. How could it? It only knows what was. And to keep it going. So that which is, so to speak, outside of the mind, that, so to speak, which is outside of the echo, outside of the familiar and the known, that we have to be patient about. That we have to hang in with. Because that comes from somewhere else we know not where. And it's no easy task and undertaking in life to say, no continuity of the old. Utter listening as much as possible. And in the listening, inner listening as much as possible. If it feels like, if the senses, are oh, these old impressions keep telling me I should, I must, I should, I must. The old parental voices going on, the old social voices and the financial voices and the work voices and etc, etc. We say, no, 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 thank you, no, no, no. In order to stay receptive that which is not of the mind, which is not of the known, which is not of the familiar, and possibly another kind of movement, no guarantee, but another kind of movement can come in which moves our life in a, a different kind of way. And it's extraordinarily hard in a world of human doings, to be rather faithful and rather loyal to human being and human receptivity. In the um, text here on knowing, It's one of these areas which need and uh, um, re 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 require uh, from us. Um, I think a lot of re-evaluation, re-examination. Uh, and I think this re-evaluation, re-examination of our life is uh, a genuinely uh, um, ongoing process. And as I mentioned just uh, uh, earlier, if we're interested in knowing, 
and, and knowing not intellectually, but deep, deep sense of knowing about this existence. Then the tradition which says to us to help and enable this knowing to flower through is going to generate, as I said earlier, some finding of space for some kind of knowing to come through. And therefore, as always with the tradition, the austerities of what am I prepared to let go of? What am I prepared to do without? What am I prepared to sacrifice? What am I prepared to help happen in my life so that in some way or other there's some kind of opening up taking place? And there's a, I'll, I'll just... Uh, the glass is a bit better today. You might even be able to read the Pali. We'll see. This is from the Majjhima Majjhimanikaya is middle-length discourses. Middle-length discourses, about uh, 150 uh, of them. And it's uh, a book which, de- which deserves to be the uh, uh, Quran of the Buddhist world. And, and it consists of various uh, talks and teachings of the Buddha and with various people who would come and, and um, meet, meet with him. And in this particular uh, one, there is, it says that Sariputra, who is a, a very good friend, uh, close companion uh, uh, of the Buddha, and he says to Sariputra, what state do you abide in? The Buddha asked Sariputra, what state do you abide in? More or less like poor old meditation teachers, contemporary languages, you know, how are you today? Or, <laughs> or perhaps more precisely, where are you today? <laughs> or are you today? But anyway. So <laughs> and he says to Sariputra, your complexion is, is calm, you're, uh, you're, you're bright, you're, you're, you're radiant. And sometimes we know it come uh, the end of uh, retreats as well. We, and during, during retreats we see some eye contact with uh, people on the retreat. And, and we see through the energy and the, the vibration of the retreat and the meditation process that there's a certain brightening of of our being which uh, uh, takes place in an atmosphere of calm and care and lots of love around and presence and of course uh, uh, good food and all that makes up for, for, for the day it has a, not only a, a beneficial impact on the inner life but also uh, on the whole of the being, the whole Nama Rupa means the whole mind and body benefits from the whole process. And so when we're speaking of change and transformation, we're not just speaking of personality, but the whole being can transform, the whole consciousness can undergo. So, so the Buddha looks across to um, Sariputra and asks him, um, sees that he's bright and clear and 
said, oh yeah, Sariputra is doing his meditation practice properly at last. And um, he said, what state do you abide in? He asked him. And then Sariputra uh, replies and he says, some of you will know the first word, first word, Shunyata Viharena Ko Ahang Bante Etahari Bahulam Viharamiti. Lovely, lovely phrase. I, ab- I abide in emptiness, Saraputta says. The Buddha then responds. I'll try to explain all this in a minute, don't go away. He says, Sadhu, Sadhu. Well said, well said. He says, Mahapurisa viharena kiradvam sariputta. Etahari bahulam viharasi. Mahapurisa viharo hesa. Sariputta yadidam shinyata. He says, Well said, well said, Sariputra. You now abide in the state of all great people. For this emptiness is the abiding place of all great people. Sweetness, manna from heaven, this statement. So some of you will listen and say, emptiness? God, it sounds grim. I feel so empty inside since I arrived. <laughs> Let us get a sense and understanding of what this means. Sometimes, with everyday knowing, much of it is shallow and superficial. Just how much superficial knowledge we have, how much information uh, we, we have. I was watching um, a television um, program, what was it called? One of these, um, uh, uh, what do you call them in America, uh, game, game shows. And then some English woman's in it, it was all in black, stands in the middle, and then she votes them, then they vote each other off. Anybody know this program? Anyway, so, that, so they have to answer questions. Right? And then they all get voted, gradually get voted off, and then the last one gets the money. The weakest link. Yeah, thank you, sir. The, weak, the weakest link. So I looked at this program called The Weakest Link. And the most horrifying factor about it was I could answer some of those questions. <laughs> Where did I get this information? <laughs> I was you know, utterly appalled with myself that, that, <laughs> that somewhere along the line I had knew this stuff some of these questions. Where did, it, where did it come from? I had no recollection of it. 
So there's all this knowledge and information, multiple, multiple, multiple bits of information that we have accumulated and gathered as, as, the, as the time has gone by. And the, in the teachings of the Buddha, there is a knowing, and therefore a knowing of what's significant. And the knowing of what's significant is around what are the difficulties? What are the causes and conditions around them? What's the resolution of them? What really contributes in life to joy, to love, to happiness? What contributes in, in life to the deep absorption of our being into existence? What contributes in life to a real sense of interconnectedness and profound uh, awareness? What contributes in life to really opening up our consciousness to the sweetness of the formless realms? What makes that happen? What kind of knowing is all that about? And therefore it's a calling on us in a way to, to, to um, uh, make a shift, make a movement away from lots of knowing which is really uh, unimportant to which you and I give far too much time to and seeing if there's uh, other expressions of knowing which really, really matter. And the Buddha says, rather unusual, he says, well, what one would have thought, he says, the abiding place of all great people is emptiness. What's meant by that? What's implied by that? And then sometimes we, we look and we say, here I am as a human being and I'm experiencing this world and frankly it doesn't seem very empty at all. In fact it seems rather all too full up. And there seems to be so much proliferation of things going on, I can't really think of it as being very empty. Seems rather full. And we open our eyes, and we get the contact of the world upon our eyes, and then we get the contact on our ears, and on our nose, and on our tongue, and uh, on, uh, on our body, and all of that making for the communications, the instruments by which we get to know the world. And every time we open our eyes, there's something or someone in it. And we open our ears and we get something else coming into it, silence or sounds, nose, da-da-da-da. And then, if that's not enough for us, we are bold enough to have a look into our mind. And, oh, my God. And there's so much going on in, in there and it seems to be full of one thing or the other. And sometimes it's the wave of feelings and perceptions and emotions and thoughts and ideas. And sometimes there's the tensions which are going on as one person's reported. The desire to stay awake and the resistance to staying awake and there. And, and that may be the pattern in daily life. So exhaustion is there and we come on a, an awakening retreat and we find actually it's a sleepening retreat. <laughs> and, and all of that's filling up the day, filling up the moment, filling up the moment. And so, so what is this emptiness that the place of uh, all true, all authentic abiding? And contemplate on this. What is this emptiness? What is this emptiness that the, the Buddha keeps referring to, which the great saints and sages have keep referring to of past and present and future. What, what, what is it 
Because in first light, as it were, on first moment of awareness of it, hardly sounds attractive, does it? You know, abiding in bliss, ah, oh yeah, that's more something. Or more metaphorical language, um, um, entering into the kingdom of God. That sounds better. Or uh, nirvana. Yes, that sounds uh, better, though it's a pity that it's been made into a perfume. Oh, what, what, what? <laughs> but in the non-dual sense of things, of course, there's also samsara, so it's kind of bad. Anyway, so... But emptiness, shunyata, vihara, means abiding. Monastery is a vihara, abiding in emptiness. Then we contemplate on this, and then we meditate on this. And then perhaps we begin to get a little sense. And it's a very important, beautiful thing here. For something to be revealed which is present, it has to be revealed to that which is not present. For a sight to be known, it can only be known through the absence of sight. The eye can't see itself. For a sight to be known, it can only be known through a non-sight. For a sound to be known, it can only be known through a non-sound. For a smell to be known, it can only be known through a non-smell. Taste to be known, it can only be known through a non-taste. Feeling, perception, thought to be known, it can only be known through its absence, through what it is not, through the absence of. And this whole life, this whole extraordinary life that's unfolding and unfolding and unfolding and unfolding through, only through sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, and the unfoldment of the inner life and all that goes along with it. All of it's only known through the absence of it. Through absence it enters. Into absence of it comes to. This absence of is called empty. And it's the emptiness that makes it possible to know there is a sight. The emptiness of the sight makes it possible to know the sight is there. The emptiness of the sound makes it possible to know there is a sound there. The abiding place of all great beings is emptiness. one knows emptiness. And emptiness makes all possible. Emptiness allows everything to be revealed. Emptiness allows everything to be exposed. Emptiness makes all things available. Everything confirms Maha purisa bahiro hesa sariputa yadam shunyata. Emptiness is the abiding place of all great people.
may all beings live with awareness. May all the beings know knowing. May all beings abide in emptiness. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.